the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. All right. Welcome, Joey Thurman, to the podcast, The Big Silence, my new BFF. That's right. BFF forever in Austin. Yeehaw, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So Joey is on a massive book tour for The Minimum Method, which we'll get to. But we have very similar stories and somewhat we're in the fitness industry for many, many years. Had interesting growing up and childhood, which we'll talk about. And yeah, I just want to talk. We've just been hanging out. So Joey flew in this morning to Austin. Mm -hmm. From Chicago, and then you're going to L.A. L.A. after this for some TV, yeah. Yeah, and we kind of worked out, but not really. But I know you, <laughs> I promised you a workout, but I failed. But we did film some really cool content for social media. We, we got things in, and we got the movement in, and that made us feel better because you went from a 2 to an 8 to hopefully at least a 9, maybe a 10. Yeah, even if I only move for like 5 minutes, I feel better. Mm-hmm. So we did some content, and now we're hanging out for a podcast, and then I'm going to make Joey eat a French fry later at Ski Shores. I might eat two. Maybe. (laughs) Unless they're, like, huge. (laughs) They are. But, okay, so, Joey, you have been in the fitness industry for how long? Since 2006, professionally. Yeah, okay. So we're on the same kind of timeline. Mm -hmm. And what brought you into that? Grew up playing sports as a kid, uh, soccer, hockey through college. These teeth are real, by the way. Um, really? I have, yeah. These two are fake. Did you just knock them out playing hockey and get in a bar fight? Um, a little bit of both. When I was a kid... I wasn't expecting a little bit of both as an answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I knocked them out twice. Well, only one and then the other. I was on a... I tripped on a crack in the sidewalk. Okay. And then when I was 18, I was at a bar. Dad, if you're listening, I don't think I actually told you the true story. <laughs> I think I told you I was rollerblading in the Santa Monica. 
I actually was at a bar and I fell off a bar stool and cracked my teeth. Okay, so you were in a bar fight with yourself in the ground. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so my, my teeth are real. But yeah, hockey um, and soccer, I've dabbled in other sports, but I was getting ready to go to law school, switch my major three times. I was basically just going to college to play hockey. I mean, mm-hmm. really, and party, let's be honest. After I switched my major the third time, I was like, okay, what do I do? And personal training was in, pretty much in its infancy back then. There was no mm-hmm. exercise physiology at my school or many schools. And you got a kinesiology degree, you either became a teacher, a professor, or you were you know, a gym teacher. And so I was like, what the hell? And the physiology professor at the time was starting a personal training program. He's like, why don't you just kind of do this like understudy program thing? And that happened and uh, picked up from St. Louis in my yellow Mustang convertible, interview mm. with some um, gyms out in Chicago, and the rest is, you know, history that's still writing itself, I guess. Yeah. So I want to go back to you growing up because I am have read parts of your book, The Minimum Method, and I've read, I've watched all of your talks and your interviews, and there's something deeper of why you came into fitness and why it was so healing for you. I know that you were diagnosed with depression at 13 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, how did it get to that? Yeah, um, I wish I could pinpoint, you know, a certain thing. My family was going through some stuff then, and then I had switched to a new school from going to a school in Wisconsin of a couple thousand kids to a suburb of St. Louis with like 500 kids. So I was immediately the new kid. Mm -hmm. And being torn away from everything that I knew to, you know, knowing lots of people and being relatively popular to this new kid in the small town where not only people in my grade knew who I was, but everybody in the school was like this new kid. And that kind of just bullying exacerbated and I was sort of just got within my own self and was a recluse. My mom was still selling her house in Wisconsin. So I was just living with my dad at the time until she sold it. And so it took a lot. And then that sort of started creeping up then. And it just never really went away. And then uh, I started, there was um, a bridge in St. Louis called Jefferson Barrick Bridge. I kept telling my mom, I could call every day. I'm like, I just want to go walk to the bridge, jump off. I just want to go walk to the bridge. At at what age? 13, Mm -hmm. 14-ish. That's why she's like, you need to talk to somebody. And my father wasn't one that kind of like believing in therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, if he's listening to this, he's not going to deny that by any means. You know, she's like, he needs help. He needs help. He needs to talk about it. So... We went, um, we talked about it. I got a therapist, a psychiatrist. They put me on a bunch of stuff. They put me on suicide watch. And it was a lot back then, but I, I don't even know if I really processed it. And ever since then, I always say depression kind of goes in remission for me. Mm-hmm. It's never gone. Like it's always like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. That's kind of how I look at my own depression and my own story. Everybody's different. But sometimes I'll have the best things going on in life and doing all this TV stuff and this book and going on the big silence and, you know, like, and, and being here with you. And sometimes it just hits me and I just like. What does it feel like when it hits you? Confusion and sadness. Like why I should, and everybody's like, oh, you should, you have all these amazing things going on. You should just feel happy. But when was the last time someone said, you know what? Why don't you just feel happy? You've got all these things going on. And just like, okay, you're happy. It doesn't work like that. That's not how we're built. It was interesting, actually, when I you arrived here and my podcast studio is on my property. And the first thing when I met you, you said something like, wow, you, what was it that you said? Like, must be like... I don't know if it's been nice, but like, um, have you ever stopped to just kind of take in like everything yeah. that you've accomplished? Because I think we, we lose sight of that. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's like somebody, oh, you you look good right now. I'm like, oh, thank you. I always yeah. tell people, like, say, tell them, like, you look like you feel amazing. Like, yeah. Can you imagine that if we started telling people that? Yeah. Like, you look great. Or no, you look like you feel amazing. I say, look at this. Look at what you've done. You would, like, tone it up where, where it started, you know, 13, 14 years ago when you guys started to where you're at now in your life and just stop every now and then and just, like, have that anchor and anchor in that moment. Like, yes, I did this. You need to accept that. Yeah. And I think when you asked me that, when I just met you, my new BFF, I was like, in my head, I had like 30 thoughts. And then I was like, yeah, like it takes, you have to stop Mm -hmm. and look at not, it's not even about accomplishment. It's when you go back into that inner child. So you at 12, 13 years old, where you were and to where you are now, and I always have to bring back that yeah. inner child work mm-hmm. and be like, oh, yeah, little Karina at 12 years old yeah. who did attempt suicide and was in the hospital and I'm a survivor and I'm so fucking thankful yeah. because now I can be here, hopefully, you know, as a member of the community and helping others survive life. But like, what about you do you see now? And would you tell your little boy, your little Child little, at that age. Little Joey. Yeah, I did, actually did some inner child work probably a year or two ago now. And it was through Zoom and through a life coach. I'm like, that's it's bullshit. You know, this is not going to work. So I ended up going back and seeing myself standing outside of that brand new school in Columbia, Illinois. But I saw myself as a shadow, but I knew it was me. This flagpole <laughs> outside. And my life coach was like, you know, go up to yourself, console yourself. So I ended up hugging my shadow self at 13. And they're just like, I want, you to, I want you to take him somewhere where you feel safe. And all of a sudden, I was on the ice playing hockey with myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's my safe place. It was really interesting that I did that. Just kind of going into that and realizing that was the point. I didn't know where I was going to go or where I was going to end up being. But that seemed to be like that catalyst in my life where everything just hit me. There was just so much going on with my family and then a new school. And I was telling them that it's okay and that you are loved and you're going to be okay. But it's okay also that you're going to hate yourself at times. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay that you're going to go through all of these emotions because the best thing we can do for ourselves, for our children, is for us to understand all of our emotions and not shy away from them. There's certain things like tell our son, like it's okay to get angry, but it's not okay to hit and swing, but it's okay to understand that you're angry right now mm-hmm. and just process it and have that feeling. So I would just, just tell him that like things are going to suck and it's okay just to embrace the suck a little bit and You'll get through it, but acknowledging that is really one of the hardest things that you can do. But once you acknowledge it, then you can push through. My God, I feel like I'm going to be all over the place because in my head, so many questions pop up. So you have a four-year-old son, and I have a very close friend who has a four-year-old daughter who is like struggling with her mental health right now. Mm -hmm. So if there is a parent right now listening and they have a three, a four, a five-year-old, or six, seven, like... Mm -hmm. What would your best advice be? It's okay to be a shit parent. Because you're not going to be perfect all the time. We put all of these labels on ourselves and social media, I think, makes a lot of things worse. And there's some really good things about social media. Don't get me wrong. But like we always have to be the perfect mom, the perfect dad, the perfect grandparent and all these sort of things. And we're looking at people's highlights in life. But you're going to mess up. You're going to screw up. And I even said that to my son at one point. I'm like, I'm going to mess up, buddy. He's like, you are dead, dad? When? Like I said, I mess up all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. But I need to acknowledge that. So if you're a parent or you're going to be a parent, realize that if you put all these expectations on yourself and having perfect birthday parties and perfect everything mm-hmm. and perfect mm-hmm. schooling, 
it is not going to happen. You completely set yourself up for failure. If you do that in your life and you're trying to do that with your kid, like nobody's ever succeeded at everything in life. It just doesn't happen. That's so interesting because I have these conversations with Bobby, how when we grow up, we realize our parents who weren't who we thought they were. Mm -hmm. Is that in your mind? It's like coming to me like, because in our generation, parents were supposed to shield and be perfect. And they never let us know that anything was wrong until there's just like the big disruption. So then the kid, and I'm no professional here. I'm just looking back in my life and I'm like, oh, if my family came to me and number one talked about my mother being schizophrenic and what this meant and this is normal and let's have a conversation instead of pushing it behind a wall. Um, They said, I'm not perfect and it's okay to not be happy. We're in this together. And yeah, I think that's, I don't know. It's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, we're, I mean, I, th- I think that's especially similar. You know, my parents were married to each other twice. So process that for a minute. Yes, they mm-hmm. got divorced and then they <laughs> married each other again. And turns out the first time they were right. Uh, um, <laughs> Are they still together? No, no, they're not. No, they got divorced. <laughs> okay. like second time. So not, yeah, this, you know, they shouldn't be together. Um, you know, so it is what it is, right? So yeah. my mom coming to find out now, like I'm very close to my mother and I'm, you know, close to my dad too. But like, immediately, like, I'm a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. So... She was sheltering me from a lot. And I didn't know. Like, you know, when they like fought in front of you, that's why when it's such a big deal, like the kids are crying, like, mommy and dad, you're fighting. I'm, you know, like why we try to avoid that with my son, but like there's a disagreement, there's argument, there's like yelling at each other. Like I think that can be traumatic. But when you saw it actually happen in front of you, that's why it was such a big deal because they're supposed to be these perfect parents. You know, dad's working all day and mom's working all day and she cooks when she gets home and dad gets home and like at 5.30 p.m. we sit down, we have dinner, we pray, but you know, whatever. So it, it's this, I want to say it's a facade, but we, we're setting ourselves up right there mm-hmm. and we realize like they are human. So finding things out, I understand both sides of my parents now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, there's a big reason why, you know, they're not together now. And as strange as it is, I understand my father more now. I never thought I would have from some behaviors that he had and also behaviors that my mother had. Mm-hmm. As a parent now, I'm like, oh my God. Like there, there's multiple sides to the story. There's mm-hmm. multiple things that were happening. Yes, my mother was sheltering me from some things and so was my dad. But one thing that was true is they always told me they loved me. They always gave me a hug when I needed. So like, you know, my dad is not the most eloquent person talking like about emotions. Mm-hmm. But now like I can sit and talk to him about things. And my mom was kind of always there being the mom to the little boy. And I've got, you know, two older sisters, four and five years older. So I was kind of like an only child because I was the only boy. Yeah. But yeah, I just think that, just realize that you're going to mess up and showing all of yourself to your child is not a bad thing because then they can understand themselves through you, whether they know it or not right now. Yeah. I know I remember there's two images in my mind from growing up. My dad constantly would say, I love you. You're beautiful. My mom, I wish I never had you. So there's the, but those are the things, (laughs) the look on your face. I'm like, I've worked through this. I've done a lot of trauma therapy. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You got a podcast to talk about it. So, okay. Don't be concerned. I'm okay. We can turn, (laughs) I can start interviewing you. Is there anything you need to talk about? (laughs) But no, like, you know, what you say to your children, it's, um, it sticks in their mind. Yeah. So, 
uh, moving away from our inner child conversation. So then, okay, you're and you're playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And where do you go from there? Uh, so after that, I got off the Zoom call. I had my eyes closed. I didn't realize like I was literally just crying repeatedly. My shirt was soaked and Dr. Renee Mudre, um, shout out to her. She was like, just, wow, I, you know, that was, you, you got there. I didn't think I would get there. I'm just like, so then you have conversations with your 13-year-old self, with your 10-year-old self. So I started doing that, but then I immediately, was, I was running an office space during COVID. I called up my wife and said, I need to play hockey. And she's like, hockey? And I told her what happened. And she's like, okay. You know, because I'm like, I, I was in this safe place. And then I played for a season, took a puck in the ankle, and it's like 11 o'clock games. And I got to get up at five in the morning and like old men beer league hockey. I was like, okay, like, this is enough of this. But like, I needed to do that for myself. So like, I, th- there's something there. Like I needed to get on the ice. And then after that, I just started really working on myself so much more and writing my own chapter and, you know, putting pen to paper and just understanding like, myself and trying to help my clients and not trying to be a psychiatrist because that's not what I'm doing, but I can help you through things that I've gone through and so much like you're doing right now with this podcast. And so that's kind of where I, I went from there. And I never want to be like, hey, here's another post about Joey being depressed. But every now and then I got to bring that out and let people know. And I've been much, much more honest in my stories. And I remember I was sitting, I was had, I'd booked Tamron Hall, watch what happens live gma3 like some huge shows yeah for the book and i'm sitting in a coffee shop um getting ready to do uh, like a cnn interview or something i just started crying I'm like and in this coffee shop this tiny little coffee shop there's like 10 like moms there there's just like this big me and crying and i'm like what the fuck is happening right now and i'm like you know i just let it go i just like i just kept going i just like let it i just i'll just be the dude crying in the corner it's fine and i needed to have that moment and then yeah. i shared that on my story, like there's some things you'll never see my child. Like there's some things that I, you know, I'm an open book, closed chapters, but I shared that on my story. And so many people like got back to me about that. Like things are going good. And I just felt so bad, but I didn't realize anybody else felt that way. Like it's okay. Yeah. It happens. But by sharing that and by expressing that and not just like washing over those feelings, that has made me feel so much better. And now when I have those feelings, I'll either you know, 99% of the time, share it with my wife or family. It's like, hey, Karina, I'm, I'm not feeling good right now today. Like, even if I was walking, I didn't feel great today. Like, how are you? Like, yeah, I'm a little tired, a little sad today. Mm-hmm. But why, 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 why do we always have to be perfect why do we all the time? I'm fine. I'm yeah. good. Because even you, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a two yeah. today. And like, we talked about some things. And, yeah. you know, like, that's okay. Yeah. And I, I wasn't judging you for that. I should, like, some people be like, oh, flew in from Chicago at four in the morning. I'm in Austin, you know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but that's okay. And I, and thank you for sharing that with me and sharing how you were feeling at the time, because we should do more of that with yeah. my employees at the gym in Chicago. I could tell them like, how are you feeling? Like, Good. I'm like, no, how are you feeling? Yeah. If you feel like crap right now, you feel sad, tell me. Yeah. So I know, and then we can help you work through that. Fake it with your clients right now, <laughs> but afterwards come and talk to me because like, you just need to be aware of that. Yeah. Does, did you have any background in your family with depression or mental illness? You know, like going back, there wasn't really any therapy that people right. went to, but I definitely could see some of my family members when you're looking at them and not like I'm diagnosing anybody, but like, okay, there's definitely some stuff there. Oh, yeah, because we grew up in the same 
you're for turning 40 Friday. That's okay. When's the album? The 40 is. I'm 41, turning 42 in March. And yeah, we grew up in the same generation where yep. no one talked about it. And so I think it's so important. Yeah, we don't know our family history. We, because no one talked about it. Yeah. So, I there's a few things I want to bring up. We'll shift over. Number one, minimum method. I want to talk about this. And then, can you tell me why you wanted to write this book? Yeah, because uh, you know, during a lot, a lot of the stuff from COVID, it, you know, people are always talking about you need to go 100% every aspect of their life, whether it's fitness and nutrition and sleep and parenting and just math doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You look at a pie chart, it's only 100%. Yeah. You can't have 100% five different parts of your life. So I started looking at my own life first and realizing, what am I not doing? I'm not regulating my sleep. My nutrition could be better. What are these little things that I could do? Maybe taking little walks and taking these general questions I get all of the time from people. And let me look at the research. What is the minimum effective dose, say, for, for nutrition, for sleep, for gut health? Let me compile all of these research and the totality of evidence and put it in a book of tangible behaviors that people can do. And there's, yeah, there's some supplements in there too, like at the end, like everybody wants a supplement, but if you change your behavior first and you do that for an extended period of time, then maybe go like that supplement or what can you add route. And by changing your behaviors to adding more positive things, naturally these negative behaviors will go away because people always want to take away. Nobody really wants to add, but adding will naturally take away. Yeah, and so, I mean, prior to writing this book, you, I mean, through college and everything mm-hmm. you studied, I can read off your, you, it's quite impressive. There's, there's a lot of initials. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, B-L-S-C-E-S-P-P-S-C-B-T-S-H-M-F-N-S. Lots of, yeah. But you're obviously an expert in fitness and wellness. And I would say you probably came to where you are today as your own healing modality. Yeah. Yeah, so continuing with the book. Oh, look, I'm opening it, and I have it's autographed for me. Look at that. You didn't have to buy it from Amazon. I know. I thought I did, and then you're like, <laughs> no, I sent it to you, bitch. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into some questions as I'm going through the book, and then I have more questions for you personally. But sure. you talk mm-hmm. about a lot of myths in here. Let's talk about cardio. Mm-hmm. Myth number three, I must do cardio. What are your thoughts on that? So cardio is great, but do you stop breathing when you're resistance training? No. No. So you have cardiovascular benefits from that. Like I, I think people always go to cardio because it's a little bit easier. Like it's easier to press the quick start on the treadmill on the bike because you don't really have to think about it. You're pressing that easy button. Mm-hmm. And resistance training, that could be that be weights, could be bands, could be kettlebells, could be your own body weight. Like that is what's going to you know, change your muscular structure, your m- metabolic rate, your bone health, and help you move better over just cardio that's generally your standard cardio, like your steady state cardio, is only going to burn calories during that certain amount of time. So by resistance training and doing that and getting that heart rate elevated, you're getting cardiovascular benefits from it. And I'd rather people do like maybe some sort of hit work or long duration walking in the morning where you're just working on yourself internally and not necessarily thinking about it as cardio. So we think about like, I got to do cardio, I got to do this. And then you're compiling all these behaviors that seem so daunting for you. But you think, hey, I'm just going to take a... 20 minute walkout today in my property, you know, or yeah. you know, walk, like that's nice because you just gave yourself, you're just going for a walk for your mental health, but you're getting that movement in. Yeah. So cardio is not necessary. It's great for certain aspects. Mm-hmm. And if you're training for a triathlon, a race or something, absolutely. 
We need that, but you also need to add the resistance training. And so I always tell people, if you're going to work out two days a week, resistance training, three days a week, resistance training, four days a week, maybe start adding some cardio because most people don't resistance train and they do cardio instead. I know I've gone back and forth where I'm just a triathlete and doing so much cardio. Now I'm just weightlifting and then some walks in nature. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I definitely go back and forth with that, but I feel like I need to add more cardio. But this is a myth. And as t- the Tone Up community, myth number four, weight training will make you bulky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially females. They always think that they're going to add a bunch of weight. And I always say, when was the last time you saw a big 300-pound bodybuilder lifting a pink weight? I've, I've never really <laughs> seen it myself. Not saying that only females lift pink, pink weights. So don't like, yell at me here. But I'm just saying, like, whether you're lifting you know, for five reps to failure or lifting to 30 reps to failure, it's that five-ish reps to stimulus that's going to add muscle tissue on you. So even though high reps, like if, it, if you make it hard, you're going to add muscle, but the muscle that you're going to add as a female, you don't have enough testosterone, you're not taking enough supplementation, you're not eating enough calories, you're not going to be that small fraction of percentage of females that are going to add muscle. For me, I've got to work out a lot to add muscle, and I'm built for adding muscle as a man, as a, you know, testosterone is our, our main hormone. So... It's absolutely not going to make you bulky by any means. And in fact, it's probably going to make you look even leaner and more defined. Yeah, I believe in that fully. And I don't know if we'll get to talking about hormones, but then when my mother, I was taking care of my mom for five years before she passed and being a caretaker and the stress and COVID and all of this Mm -hmm. and a lot of others out there who may be listening, you, I probably put on 25 pounds. And then when I was like, you know what, Karina? time to snap out of this depression. And like, and I started lifting heavy again. And immediately, without me even like trying too hard, it just fell off. Yeah. Number one, I think it was certain hormones and stress hormones that were out of me. And then also just lifting weight. Yeah, I mean, weight training is tremendous. Like you get a little bit of aggression out, especially if you're if you're lifting, whether it's like Olympic type lifting or if you're just you know doing bicep curls. Yeah, like that right there, just a, a few minutes of that and stressing your body a little bit. That good acute stress sometimes will take away the negative stress. And, and you, you probably had elevated cortisol levels that were yeah. chronically elevated, not acute, acutely elevated um, as well. But yeah, you're you're getting a little bit of that aggression out, and you're able to realize like you don't need to do the strenuous cardio. So you gave yourself a little systemic deload. Like, hey, I'm just going to lift weights so you don't have to worry about running for an hour. Yeah. And then what are your thoughts for women? Because you train mostly women. Yeah. Like, I've, like, it goes back and forth. But generally, like, I have a higher percentage of females to males. So, women out there with protein. Protein is completely fine. Like, your you know, protein is the number one satiating macronutrient. So, if you're looking at macronutrients, your proteins, carbs, fats, and sometimes I, I call alcohol a fourth macronutrient. Like, we need protein. It's going to satiate you more. It's going to help you add muscle tissue. It's going to help your immune system. It's help so many things. And if you're looking at your calories throughout the day, if you're macro counting, whatever, protein can stay the same. Fat and carbs, you can switch up. Mm-hmm. As long as you're hitting your protein, if you're more really obese and you're going to hit a, a gram per pound, that's going to overestimate. But for most individuals, you know, if you're having half gram to a, a gram per pound of protein, you know, which for most females might be like four chicken breasts or like, you don't just have chicken breasts, that's boring. You know what I mean? I'm just like, <laughs> give, give an easy math four here for people. Four tone it up protein four, cookies. Yeah, yeah, the chocolate ones, which I just had, um, <laughs> which have 10 grams of protein and they're yep. completely plant-based. Uh, I looked at the ingredients. <laughs> yeah, nice job. Um, Do you approve? Uh, I, I approve. I am not paid by tone it up. Um, although I would take your money. Um, so like, look, yeah, protein, number one, most important macronutrient to hit. 
And then carbohydrates or fats, then you depend you know, on what you want to do. People need carbs. I would say, mm-hmm. hey, is fruit bad for you? No. Is vegetables bad for you? No. Guess what? Those are carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Those have fiber. Like We, we need that. Um, so I think that the whole carb thing too, people just get way overblown mm-hmm. on it. What happens in the end is you have less carbohydrates. You have For every one gram of carb you have, three grams of water sticks to that like a sponge. So what happens when you cut out Carbs, you lose water weight in the beginning. Now, for adherence to a diet, that might help because you see the scale go down, but it's not fat. So do you want to lose weight or do you want to lose fat? Do you want to add weight or do you want to add muscle? Big difference. So we need to be being so carbophobic mm-hmm. and realizing that the, you know, the first few pounds or whatever is just going to be that. Now, if you're looking, you, you want to look a certain way for the beach and you want to lose a couple pounds quick, that's just going to be water weight. Like you could do that. You can manipulate it that way. But for the most part, calories determine your weight. Macros determine how you look. Micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, trace minerals determine how you feel. Ooh. Okay. So let's go into vitamins and minerals. Sure. What do you suggest for how you feel if we're talking mental health? Yeah, so mental health, like there's a bunch of stuff in here called the antidepressant food scale, Mm -hmm. which ranks, Dr. Drew Ramsey, a PhD psychiatrist, wrote that. So like you look at like like fish is very good for your brain, you know, high omegas and sardines. I'm not a sardine guy, but like, you know, like you do the fish oil, Mm -hmm. um, kale, broccoli, all that sort of stuff, very good fruits, you know, and then it goes down to your meats and your organ meats. So it ranks it in there, whether you're eating animal products or you're not. There's an entire list in there. So what I tell people is that one of the best things you can do, whatever way you're eating, is to have two or three servings of greens a day. And greens are generally like they're basically calorie free, but -hmm. they're high nutrient load, nutrient density, and have two or three servings of fruit a day. Right there, you're going to get a bunch of your vitamins and minerals. You're going to get your fiber. You're going to get everything that you need. And if somebody needs to take something, I would say just take a multivitamin, a fish oil, maybe a magnesium. And if you don't get sun, like vitamin D. Like those things right there will cover you for the most part and you're going to feel good. So you're changing those behaviors, you're regulating your sleep, you're having just 20 to 30 grams of fiber a day, which is going to, the fiber is going to feed your gut microbiome, which 70% of your immune system lives in there. Your serotonin is produced mainly in your gut. So the fiber feeds the probiotics, those expensive probiotics that people are taking. Mm-hmm. If you don't have fiber, those probiotics, prebiotics, the probiotics can't eat to survive. There's studies that directly look at that. Probiotics are great. But if the probiotics can't feed on something, what's well, going to happen? They're not as effective. You're just going to have really expensive pee. <laughs> Dang. We can, we can go down this whole rabbit hole. I, know, right? I, well, I don't want to give away all of your book because everyone has to yeah, read There's it, a couple hundred pages. It's hard it, to give it all away. And I'm going to like, okay, I have so many notes in here, but I want to then, I have so many questions. I like that you have too. notes and post-its, by the I, way. I know. People, I'm yeah, very yeah. organized, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleep. Because uh-huh. I've been very focused on sleep because I've had terrible sleep lately. But everyone I talk to also says, oh, I'm awake from 2 to 4 a.m. every night. And I'm like, what's in retrograde right now? What's happening? Uh-huh. But sleep is, I think, something that a lot of people are focusing on right now. Yeah, and so much so, like, it's the biggest chapter in my book for a reason. Yeah. My publisher wanted 65 to 85,000 words. When I turned in the first chapter, it was like 35,000 words. Like, okay, you can't have a book called The Minimum Method and be like 500 pages. Like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I had to, <laughs> I had to cut it down. But people say, it's diet and exercise, it's exercise and diet. No, it's sleep, diet and exercise. So yes, the whole like seven to nine hours a night, like, yeah, that's boring. But you need consistent sleep. 
if you even if you get less sleep per night, there's multiple studies looking at consistent sleep versus like you know sporadic sleep of seven, eight, nine hours. The people that have more consistent sleep, so they're regulating their circadian rhythm, your 24-hour cycle. You know, whether it's going to bed at 10 p.m. and waking up at 6 a.m. or going to bed at midnight, waking up at 5 a.m., seven days a week, because there's seven days in the week, people, like not just, you know, mm-hmm. five. You do that, that regulates your endocrine system, your hormones much better. You're going to store less fat. You're going to crave less nutrient devoid foods, like your standard American diet foods the next day. Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel so much better. So that the estrogen, the testosterone, all those things, the cortisol are going to be regulated just by having the consistent sleep. Then if we can do seven to nine hours of sleep, amazing. And then try to sleep in an hour and a half increments. So we sleep in hour and a half cycles, hour and a half to 110 minutes, depending on what you're looking at. So if we're looking, we're sleeping at, you know, sleep four and a half hours, six hours, seven and a half hours. So the point when you kind of roll over in the middle of the night, that's when you go back to your lightest sleep stage. Mm-hmm. So that's the point when you want to try to set your alarm or wake up during. Because if you ever like set the alarm and you're kind of wide awake, you're like, oh, I've got another 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you hit snooze. And then you get up and you're groggy as hell. Yeah. Because you went back into a deeper sleep stage. So if you woke up at that point, you actually up more, your cortisol awakening response, which is a good thing, can keep you awake, which you can delay your caffeine response. So you don't have to have as much caffeine. I'm not saying caffeine's a bad thing. I love caffeine. I'm drinking some gym weed right now. Um, <laughs> not sh- sponsored. Sh- sh- shameless plug, not sponsored either. <laughs> How many things can I mention that you rep? Um, so like all these things, like these are behaviors. People are like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. No. Consistent sleep first. Yeah. But I need seven, nine. Okay, consistent. Hour and a half increments. Okay. You can do that. Like, think about that. These are very simple things to do, but implementation sometimes is the hard part. Yeah. I know. I always think 10 to 6. Like, even today, I woke up at 4.30 a.m., but I was like, I went to bed at 10, woke up at 4.30, had Pomeranians all over me, and I was like energized, no caffeine, nothing, but I didn't hit the snooze because I was like, I don't have my alarm going off till six. And I just got up. You're ready to go. I was ready to go. Your body was telling you you're ready to go. Yeah. Because I am the victim of snooze, nine more minutes. And then Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm so tired. I do the same thing, but I did that this morning. I had to get up at 3.30 to get here. And I set an alarm set for like 3.30 and 3.31, you know, like to some that annoying, but it went off at 3.30 I was kind of awake and I was like, starting to go. I'm like, you know, the second one, I just got right up. Because in my head, I'm like, I'm going to get up at 3.45. Yeah. But it didn't make sense. I felt so much better. And I didn't have coffee until I, I landed in Austin. What's your morning routine? Okay. You get up at 3.30. Your travel, okay. Your travel morning routine uh, versus yes. your regular at home. And then during the week, I'm getting up at 4, 4.30 and doing mm-hmm. the same thing, not having caffeine, generally speaking, in the first hour to hour and a half because there's a cortisol awakening response. You want to avoid caffeine during that time so your body just naturally wakes up. If you have the caffeine, it's fine, but just you might need more later on in the day because you're blocked that natural waking response. If I'm going straight to the gym to work out, then maybe I'll have like, it's a 45-minute to an hour drive downtown in the West Loop to mow the gym that I'm the director of. So I'll you know, drink a pre-workout or a coffee or whatever, and then I'll work out. But often I'll have a client or two, then I'll drink my caffeine, get my workout in, and then deal with trainers or whatever else I'm doing for that day, and then mm-hmm. rinse okay. and repeat. So if you're getting up at 4 a.m., though, when I say, what is your morning? What do you do at 4 a.m.? Well, I gotta, it's an hour drive. I got to be at the gym by 5, 5.30. Oh, 
So do you I gotta brush my teeth. Oh, you brush. Yeah, you I don't take, like. I, take I, a, I put on uh, a hat. Look, I, I wear pajamas all the time, basically. I know, um, isn't it great it, that we can do that and yeah. it's an excuse? It is. It is nice. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm just doing, if I'm just working at the gym, I put on my polo and workout pants and hat and brush my teeth, wash my face, maybe, maybe wash my face, and I'm good to go. Sometimes I'll sit in bed for thirty seconds to a minute and just kind of visualize the day and sort of do like a. A meditation without even looking at my phone, not having to like, oh, because I think people sometimes think meditation is that. And meditation yeah. is just being within yourself and being aware of your thoughts. Yeah. I'll do that often when I'm driving. If it's cold in Chicago, which it is a lot, I'll roll the windows down and I'll get that shiver. So I'm actually increasing dopamine response. I'm also going to, you know, get my body to increase more brown fat and beige fat, which is the good fat as I'm driving. And it's also waking me up. So I'm that crazy guy when it's 20 degrees in Chicago driving with the windows down. Mm-hmm. And often I'll, you know, do the, listen to like, podcast or generally it's like news in the morning yeah and then um yeah I'd go from there but i gotta get up and get it in early as much as possible yeah yeah wow 4 a.m is so leaving then so you have a mini meditation practice but not like because we were just talking downstairs mm-hmm. and emily asked if you had adhd she picked me up right away yeah <laughs> real soon, real soon. takes one to know one <laughs> yes so can you meditate? Are you able to? What centers you with that? Yeah. So um, one thing that's gotten me far in my life um uh, past couple of years is finding my purpose. Because people mm-hmm. say like, oh, what's your why and stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. But what's the path to your why? How do you get to your why? It's not enough to know your why. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get to that point? Or that's goal setting or knowing your path. So for me, my why is my son and wanting him to grow up and say, this is my dad. Mm-hmm. I'm proud that he's my dad. Not that he was on The Big Silence. Not that he was on TV. Not that he wrote a book. Because he's my father. And he's a good person. And I, I love to say that I'm proud of him. So that's what kind of always brings me back when I'm having these bad days. And we talked about mm-hmm. bad days versus you know, bad moments and, and looking at those things. So that kind of brings me back to my center. Because I know I can't sit for 30 minutes and listen to a, a meditation practice. It's hard for me. But I can take a few minutes or a few seconds or do some breathing techniques. And there's an old breathing chapter in the book. And I've started doing that and incorporating all these things together at one. Mm-hmm. And saying like, hey, if I even run my son or wife, like, I need two minutes. Yeah. Like, stop. We're all, give me two minutes. We can come back to this. Because I know like to the point, I've got a very short fuse that I'm just going to like, I want to say lose it. But you know what I mean? Get really yeah. angry. Yeah. Walk away for two minutes, do some physiological size, some box breathing, whatever, and just think about like, okay, what am I doing? Why am I responding this way? Why is my wife responding this way? Why is my son responding this way? Whoever, you know, we're in the conversation with. And then I can come back to that. And often, not always, because some things aren't fixed that easily, but often I feel so much better and I'm within myself. And then I can understand everybody else around me and understand kind of how they're feeling and maybe why they're reacting Yeah, that way. Well, and having ADHD or bipolar or anything is not a diagnosis. That's bad. Right. It's like, I love it when I have two friends that have been on this podcast and they're like, I have bipolar one, but go me, you know, (laughs) like this is me. I'm fucked up. Let's go. Cool. (laughs) It's fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, whether you're medicated. I can cuss on this, right? We're okay. I already have. You're good. Don't worry. And it's, you know, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything. And I even would want my husband 
Bobby to explore. It's been brought up in therapy. And I'm very open and I talk about everything you we've met today. And I've probably spilled my entire life to you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, you know, our therapist was like, do you have ADHD? If so, that is a gift. Mm-hmm. And looking at it that way is really important. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, I'm undiagnosed, but I'm sure I suffer from depression. But that's okay. Yeah. You don't need a diagnosis until yeah. you feel sad. And sometimes yeah. you can't explain it. Like, yeah, I think sometimes we like putting labels, yeah. you know, around things. And you even look at little little children that like super hyper, hyper-focused or do, doing things like they have OCD, they have this, maybe they're on the spectrum. Like, or maybe it's just like a kid being a kid who maybe like just... sees something shiny and a new toy and whatever and wants to focus. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, but a diagnosis is good at times. But sometimes I feel like once you're diagnosed, like I have this. Yeah. Then like you almost handicaps yourself. Yeah. It's like a story you're telling yourself for myself and I'm sure for you. I don't know. You've been, you've taken medication for depression. Off and on for a long time. Are you on it now? I am not right now. No. Yeah. Movement is not medicine. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Movement, meditation, and a cold plunge, which I'm going to do if you make you do it. Okay. You're going to make me cold. That's fine. We'll shiver shiver it away. No, but literally when I talk about cold therapy and you talk about opening your window and driving down Mm -hmm. at like, you know, 435 in the morning for that cold feeling, like coldness has been... And cold plunging has been such a therapeutic thing for me. And there's been times where I've had debilitating panic attacks in the morning. Like I wake up and like, it's so bad. And Bobby will be like, come, it's dark outside. He's like, you're getting in the cold plunge. And it's so meditative and therapeutic for me. So you found your non-prescriptive pill. I've never been on any medication for prescriptions i've i just started running <laughs> that's great yeah for me like i i was on zoloft and they put me on something else that actually kind of yeah. made me angry and then they had me on adderall yes i was actually prescribed adderall not just taking it for like studying or something like um a lot of yeah. people do but yeah yeah it just i felt like for me and i'm speaking for myself so if anybody's on it it's helping you amazing but for yeah. me like it didn't make me feel like myself yeah and then i had to start realizing like so people tell me like you know like i said like you should feel better. You should do this. You've got all these amazing things going on in your life. And then, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. But until I knew what exactly worked for me and those behaviors and mm-hmm. those changes and sometimes things don't work and I just realized like, okay, today is just going to be a bad day. And that's okay. And that is all right. That's all right. Yeah. Tomorrow's another day. You need to lay on a couch for a day and have it be a bad day. Yeah. It's okay. I did that a week ago. I went to New York and I've got all these friends and producers and normally like I'm going from place to place and having meetings and I literally got off the plane. Something I was on in like four different time zones for in six days the week before, and I was just shot. And I landed at nine thirty in the morning. I took a nap for an hour and a half. I did had to do this like Instagram live thing with um guy's name escapes me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so I had to do that, and then I went got food, and then went and slept from four p.m. to nine p.m. Called my wife and son, and then went back to bed. And mm-hmm. literally just the whole day, I just slept in New York. It was a really expensive nap because the hotel wasn't cheap. But like, <laughs> I'm I, sure that, they had nice sheets. Yeah, it was cozy. Great sheets, yeah, whatever. Fly and I don't know, count, thread count, whatever. I'm, I'm not a sheet guy. Um, but I did, that's what I needed. And yeah. I was able to tell myself that's what I needed. Like I had all these buddies that I was supposed to meet and I didn't. And I told them I didn't want to. And if they're really your friend, they'll say, that's okay, I love you. Yeah. That's all right. Now, like, oh, you're in town now and you didn't come, we were supposed to meet. It's like, I need this right now. I am shot. 
Yeah. So that's, I think that it's a good advice for life when you know somebody really cares about you, when you're just having your moment, your day, and you just need that time just to feel bad or just sleep all day long, they should be like, it's okay. Yeah. I feel like with that, like, go, go, go hustle mentality, it took me a long time. And now I've set that boundary and I openly say it one day a week, I'm going to just sit on that couch. Yeah. I'm going to watch some Netflix. And that is just what I want. And I'm not going to feel guilty for right. it. But it's freeing. Yeah. We deserve to relax. Yeah. Okay. I've, through this conversation, I'm going to find five tips. So we realize ways that we can naturally feel more joy and more happiness. Mm-hmm. Movement is medicine. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> Sunlight. Sunlight, yes. Sleep. Sleep, absolutely. Therefore, you are very deserving of flying to New York and sleeping. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Meditation, even if it's 60 seconds. Yeah. And I would say nature. Nature is great. Yeah, nature, because you're getting like that sunlight aspect, you're getting that. So whether you're aware of it or not, like your periphery is picking up where the sun is in the sky, whether it's high or low. Yeah. Right. And then that's just naturally regulating things. And whether you want to like put on a podcast or anything, uh, maybe the big silence. Um, you're, you're very good at more, plugging. More, more, more plugs for you. <laughs> yeah. Great. But if it's just you and literally unplugging and you need to bring your phone with you, fine. But just walking around. And just like, I'm going to take that walk today. I'm going to explore a new path. Maybe I walk this way every single time in my, my neighborhood. You know what? Walk it the other direction. You're going to see things that you haven't seen before. And that novelty will help neuroplasticity in your brain and change it. Because you're like, oh, I'm taking a different path. So you need to think about it a little bit more. Like, oh, do I turn left? Do I turn right? I've never seen that house. I've never seen that. Like, that, that can literally help your brain change mm-hmm. just from doing that and being out in nature and I would throw like a number five and a half or six and do it just have to make sure the food's on point oh yeah that's a good point I, uh, yeah. I six six yeah. things so you are turning 40 <laughs> yeah. yep mm-hmm. in a few days so let's talk metabolism sure as you age as I think a lot of women are interested in that and then I want to talk about your 40 plus adventures that sure. you have planned we have adventures. and the why uh, yeah yeah uh, so metabolism as you age, people are always like, oh, it's all downhill at 40, at 50, at whatever. Really, once we to the point we're in our 20s, our metabolism is pretty much regulated up until about 60-ish. And then women, you know, they got menopause and, and different things happening. But what they looked at is when the metabolism is slowing down, I think it's something like 0.7% per year, like some fractional amount mm-hmm. after a certain amount of age of 60. I've got the exact reference in the book. But they're looking at that and often I think the metabolism is slowing down because one, lack of activity. Then in your 60s, maybe you retire, you're, you're less active, but also lack of muscle tissue. Because even though a muscle is not crazy metabolically active, that for every pound of muscle you have, you increase your metabolism by about six calories. Mm-hmm. But it's also insulin sensitive. So you're going to be able to you know, take in you know, more carbohydrates and utilize them better, utilize them for energy. You're going to be able to propel yourself more like local motion, forward, backward, sideways, all that sort of stuff. It's going to prevent yourself from falling, from breaking a hip, which often puts people in the hospital forever. So all these different things by having muscle tissue and keeping that movement up will keep your metabolism up. Mm-hmm. So your metabolism doesn't just all of a sudden go to crap. Now, if you're dieting forever, there's metabolic adaptation. Your metabolism isn't completely ruined, by the way, people. You can still get it back. It's like my metabolism doesn't go to shit and it's down. Like even then the uh, uh, Minnesota starvation study where they had, I can't remember how many calories, like 500 calories for weeks on end. 
once they started eating back their normal amount of calories that they should to maintain their bodies, their basal metabolic rate, based off of their total daily energy expenditure, how much you're moving in a day, I know it's a lot of words, their metabolism went back to normal. So you shouldn't be on a diet your entire life because that's doing a cascade of, of events to your hormone system, to your cortisol levels, to your stress levels, where eventually your body is going to start adapting to less calories. And then in turn, you are going to naturally move less without even thinking about it. It's called your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Like me, you mean like I'm tapping, I'm kind of moving around, I'm not aware of this. Mm -hmm. I'm burning those calories then. So if you're having less calories and you're trying to move more by exercising, which is a positive thing, but that also that exercise becomes a negative thing because there's a constrained model um, energy um, of exercise where you can only burn so many calories. So you're burning so many calories, but you're not fueling your body enough and naturally, your body is just slowing down, making you more tired when you're not working out. So you're going to mess up your metabolism, for lack of a better word, because it's going to adapt to those less calories and have you move less. And wonder why you're not losing weight, why you're not feeling good. And you have less calories, macronutrients, and micronutrients. Mm -hmm. So it's this cascading of events. So like, yeah, if you're going to do a diet per se, when, let's just say diet is less calories than you need to maintain your weight. Let's just go with an easy definition there. If you're doing that for months on end, I say you should reverse diet. So you should start eating more calories up to get your metabolism back to you getting used to burning that amount of calories. Because sometimes we need to gain weight or be healthy before we lose weight. And that's a hard concept for people to grasp. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not feeling good right now and you haven't lost weight, you probably aren't eating enough. And that eating more is going to all of a sudden get you to lose weight. It's going to get you to feel better, to regulate your immune system, regulate your metabolism more. So then we can start looking at how, what you're eating in a day, what your movement is in a day, and then start adding these positive behaviors and then maybe take away some calories and play with your macronutrients a little bit. So realizing that it took you 30 years to put the weight on. Why is it going to come off in 30 days? Why would you know these drastic things? Because your long-term goal is sustained weight loss, let's say fat loss, right? Your long-term goal is that. But your short-term goal is to look great in four weeks. But your short-term goal is a hindrance to your long-term goals because you're completely cutting your calories. You're doing all sorts of things that are probably not healthy mm -hmm. for you. So let's look at the long-term and how do we find that why if that's your long-term? What's the path to that why? And is the short-term goal going to be a hindrance to that long-term results? That was a lot. I, yeah, I, I, that's very good though. I'm going to process that. And yeah. I think a lot of people listening, well, it's really good. We might even have some follow-up questions on that one. Yeah. Basically just don't diet for all year. Yeah. You should not do that because your, your body's going to adapt to the less calories. Yeah. And you, you cannot absolutely, you can only burn about four and a half times your metabolic rate in calories. So let's say you, your natural metabolic rate is 2000 calories a day. Mm -hmm. You can't out exercise 8,000 calories. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. They looked at lots of the study that this constrained energy model is based off of was looking at long duration, like ultra marathoners and everything. They were burning a certain amount of calories when they first started and a month into it, their body became more efficient at burning calories. Yeah. And so, okay, you're doing your first fitness competition in over so a decade? 11, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And it, yes. <laughs> not to It's fine. 11 years, you. yes, that's fine. Um, so when is that? Three months? April 29th. So yeah, from the point this, we're recording this 11 and a half-ish weeks, yeah. Why did you sign up? Uh, I know you're, you're turning 40 yeah, and you're yeah. doing this and then you're doing a I'm doing yeah, some Spartan, and, some yeah. probably a trial. I haven't signed up for the other three, but I've, I've got dates on everything. And 
depending on how much money I can get from sponsors to see if I can go to fancy places. Um, but it is what it is. People got to yeah, pay for this stuff. Yeah, Jim, we tone it up. Um. Hey, that, that, I, I like that. That's good. You guys can sponsor the whole time. So I'm doing something called 4 and 40 because everybody's like, oh, at 40, it was downhill. At 50, it was downhill. At whatever. So I want to prove to everybody that age is only a number and I want to show the process behind it. So I'm doing a bodybuilding or physique competition for lack of a better word. Well, that is the better word. I guess that's what they're calling it nowadays. And April 29th where I'm trying to get in as good of a static shape as I possibly can. And aesthetic is the operative word. That doesn't mean I'm going to be the healthiest I possibly am. That's what I want. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. I know where you're going with this, but I just want to preface mm-hmm. this. So just because I'm like peeled to the bone as my coach Tay and Tay's Name for himself is Gorilla Season, by the way. If that gives you any Gorilla Season, yeah, any like it's Gorilla Season. We get Ooh, huge. Like if that's it. any okay, re- okay. any reference on how big this man is, like there you go. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, um, check out my Instagram. See pictures of him. Like he's like doing a he's doing a back um, a back pose, and he's in front of me, and he like swallows me. Like he goes in front of the camera. He's a huge man. It's like yeah. two fifty, but he's a teddy bear too. So, anyways. <laughs> Um, she's like, we need to peel, bro. I'm like, cool, get me peeled. <laughs> but just because I'm aesthetically, like you're going to see every striation, everything going to be over, I'm going to be tanned and like spray tanned. That doesn't mean I'm healthy at that point. Mm-hmm. But I do want to show what my body is capable of, of looking like only for a couple of weeks, really, because I'm just going to get down in that last week of the show, I'm dehydrated. Mm-hmm. My skin is really dry. I'm electrolyte deficient. My brain is going to be foggy. So I just want to pe- let people to know. So I want to show this process along the way and compete against myself. And then the next process, then the next event will be more like a Spartan or like a kind of power-based event. So how does my chain, my training change? How does my nutrition change? How does my sleep change? How does all this change? And I'll get a different coach for that. So I'm going to do four and 40, four different athletic events that are completely different within my 40th year of life. So with the physique competition, because you've spoken in the past about having body dysmorphia. Yeah, big time. So do you think you could get triggered by doing this competition? It's a good possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Therapist uh, on I, hand. <laughs> uh, I mean, have you, have you just met me? Um, I don't think it's probable, but it is possible for sure. Yeah. I would never say never. But the first three that I did was for a year and a half, and it was truly about aesthetics. Now I said, like, my, my son's going to, we talked about this off air, like, my son's going to make me a cake for my birthday. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell him I'm not going to try the cake, Frederick, because daddy's got a fitness competition. I'm very aware of the language I use around him. Because um, I don't want to even though, like, I know that I, stereotypically it's harder on females. Mm-hmm. But I know that boys more and more are getting, like, kind of body dysmorphia issues. So me, I know I'm trying to look a certain way aesthetically on stage. But I know that like if something comes up and I need to have that piece of cake and whatever, I'm like, oh, I would have had that last striation in mm-hmm. my sixth ab, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't for that cake. I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Me in the past, I probably would have. Yeah. So yes, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to look as good as I can while still trying to feel good along the way. And fortunately, I'm lean enough where I can still have a good amount of calories. Like I'm cutting down now. I'm at 3,400 calories a day. So I know, but you haven't. I need to feed you while you, you're here. Yeah, you should I've, feed me. Um, so, but like, I had to. I had to tone it up. I, that's um, right. And I, and I actually had to tone it up like granola type thing too, which was quite delicious. I, I didn't post about that one, so it wasn't real. Um, so yes, uh, could it trigger me? Yes, but I, I'm in the proper mindset now of knowing that I'm doing this for me, and I'm competing in two categories. So I told Tay, or let's just call him Gorilla Season, because because so I want to meet it's more Mr. Gorilla. Uh, <laughs> it's like, so it's so fun. Um, just calling him that. So. He, I was like, oh, so there's two, there's two categories. There's a 40 plus. And so I should sign up for the 40 plus. He's like, bro, you're not signing up just for the 40 plus. He's like, you're competing in the open category. I'm like, against like the 20 year olds and everything else. He's like, open categories. Everybody goes, and you're doing the 40 plus. Yeah. You win the 40 plus and you win the open. I'm like, 
okay. And that's what I did. So that's what I, I did. have to say. And my, so we were talking when we were working out ish, and we were talking about how trainers have trainers uh-huh. and age and metabolism. I'm just going to show you my trainer, Sandy. Sandy, you're going to beat my ass because I'm showing this, but, um, She's my gorilla season. Her <laughs> <laughs> gorilla. Um, hold on. That's my trainer, Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Oh, 50. snap. 50. 50? Sandy, I know you're going to hate from me saying Sandy, this. you are my hero. That is why Sandy is my trainer. Okay. Uh, so since we're, since, we're, since we're showing... Show like, me gorilla. Unrealistic. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you Tay. Uh, Tay Reigns is his name here. So I'm going to show you what he looks like competition. Oh, whoa, Tay. Okay. Okay. So that's okay. what he looks like peeled. And then I'll show you how big he looks just walking around. Whoa, Tay. <laughs> look, Tay. At this, look at this man. Where does he live? Oh, he's in Chicago. Chicago and then I'll, I'll show you the. So there's a video of him like look walking around the shirtless with me when we're posing. And this is literally me getting off. See, there he is. I'm, I can't walk. <laughs> Bro had me do a thousand reps for two hours, which is not the minimum, by the way, people. And I was just completely shot. But he thinks it's funny. So whatever. Yeah. That's what Sandy does me. I'm like, <laughs> damn girl, I couldn't walk for like Sandy. four days. Sandy's Sandy. spectacular. So kudos to you. Yeah. This is when you're coming back out and I'm booking you on all your podcasts as your PR person and or go to collective. Okay. And Sandy is going to kick your ass. I'm excited. I like my ass getting kicked. Yeah, because I'm clearly not doing yeah. that when I promise to work out. <laughs> Especially by a female. Like, there's one of my first ever mentors was a female. And I can come from playing couch hockey. I'm like, what's this chick, you know, teach yeah. me? And she beat the hell out of me. And I was like, okay. I changed my mindset at 23. Yes, if you're doing the math, I took five years to go to college because I took my sweet time. Hey, I but, dropped yeah. out of college twice. It's all good. Okay. All right. So my parents got married twice. You know, you, you dropped out twice. Cool. <laughs> all is good. I always say, life is your life and you can do whatever the fuck yeah, you you're want. Yeah, you're doing all right for yourself though, for a college dropout twice. Uh, yeah, I think it's okay. I graduated. You're doing better than me, so it's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, Joey, we have some French fries to go eat at Ski Shores. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm down. I'm, it's, it's happening. <laughs> I appreciate you being here. We're going to hang out the rest of the day. The Minimum Method book. Get it. Everything is in the podcast notes. I appreciate you. And um, Emily and I are going to kidnap you for the rest of the day. Kidnap away. And if I could leave everybody with something here. Yes. I, I tell people this quite frequently is that... If you don't take care of you and you're the person that always takes care of everybody else around you, mm-hmm. how are you going to be there for them? Mm-hmm. So thank you for being here with us. But more importantly, thank you for being here for yourself and listening to The Big Silence. Oh, I'm like crying. <laughs> thank you, Joey. I appreciate And I completely Okay, we have french fries to eat. All right, let's go. <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. 
Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe in.